Welcome to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. You know it's hard to be disciplined enough to stay consistent and improve in life. It can seem like making advancements in work means sacrificing prayer and family. My guest today explains how this does not have to be the case. From finding ways to bring prayer to your activities, to learning to trust in God's will for your life, we discuss how he went from an Olympic qualifying marathon runner to a successful and driven employee at two Fortune 500 companies, where he learned a lot of positive and negatives about working for two huge secular organizations, to finally a radical life change to follow his conscience. Stay with us. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us in another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are excited that you are here. If this is your first time listening, please click that subscribe button wherever you're located. If you're on YouTube, click that subscribe button and that bell button so that you can get these episodes each time they come out. I want to take a moment. I want to thank our donors who make these podcasts possible, as well as the Catholic Gentleman membership program that we are working on now actively and coming out with later this year in a few months. Thank you so very much for your donations. If you are looking for a place to donate, please head over to catholicgentleman.com support or patreon.com slash Catholic Gentleman and see some of those tiers that we offer. We'd be um, very grateful for, for your financial commitment if you are able so I'm excited to be joined today by a colleague and friend, Connor. So Connor Peliquin grew up in the Washington uh, state area alongside four brothers and one sister. Despite being Catholic, he decided to attend Brigham Young University in Utah. For our listeners who don't know, that university is Mormon run and Connor was likely one of few Catholics in attendance. While he was there, he competed in varsity track and cross country. Great stories that we will get to hear about today. After graduating, he headed over to a company that some of our listeners might have heard of, uh, Amazon.com, and he worked there for four and a half years in various roles in the Amazon headquarters in Seattle, Washington. From there, he went to another Fortune 500 company, Chewy.com, spent some time there before taking his whole career in life in a different direction. And I'm looking forward to conversing about that. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thanks, John. Thanks for that kind of introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, wanted to share with you that I had a uniquely proverbial man moment last night. <clears throat> So I was uh, taking my son and my nephew, my sons, two of my sons and my nephew to uh, Shields Sporting Goods. So any of our listeners who've been to Shields, uh, they're quite quite the ordeal, I will say, going into one of those. And as I was leaving Shields, I got into uh, my car and I was driving my car and I started hearing that sound that just people don't like hearing, which is the jump, 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 as you slow down or speed up. And immediately I was like, oh no, hopefully I don't have a flat. You wish, but you know. And so I pulled over at like 8.30 at night uh, to a Fairfield Inn um, hotel. And I took a look and sure enough, I had a flat tire. So those of us who have eyes to see, I was like, this is a great opportunity. I've got my nephew and two sons to just watch me change a tire. So uh, not often enough. Well, maybe. No, I, I'm going to repeat that. Uh, 
<laughs> less less changing flats the better but i got to do that last night and then the humor of all this story and why i said it's a proverbial story is two days ago my dad actually showed up at my house and commented that one of my tires looked like it was losing air and mm. I ignored him. I mean, I affirmed him, but then I did not take a step back and to go look at that tire. And so the moral of this story is listen to your elders, especially your dad, when he's guiding you, um, regardless of the age. So. Yeah, absolutely. I've never had to change a tire myself. Thanks be to God. But I'm <laughs> sure there will be a day. And I wish that I had probably paid better attention to my own father when he did teach me how to change a tire at one point. It's yeah. just been too long and I can't recall. <laughs> That's right. Well, my son, when I got done, uh, he said, well, this looks pretty easy. And I was like, yeah, we'll see you next time. Uh, you have to change a tire if you remember all the little intricacies of when and where. So, well, diving in, I want to talk to you about your life as a peak performance athlete. And I would say one that, and I'm just going to go spoiler alert, one that qualified for uh, Olympic um, trials. And so there's a bit of a humorous conversation here that when I uh, talked to Connor about this, I remember knowing that you're a marathon runner, clueless as to how fast you run or you know this ability of yours and i remember just uh asking you what your time was in my ignorance being like yeah you know so what do you run a marathon in and uh expecting you to say like you know three and a half hours or something again never having run a marathon in my life and so and then you came out with um with the time that i want you to share with our um with our listeners that is much faster than that and uh and and pretty startling so why don't you tell us about how you got into um marathon running or or just this this level of peak performance running that uh that you're so equipped to do yeah absolutely and it's, it's always a funny conversation to have uh when people hear that i've I'm, I'm training for a marathon or i've run a marathon uh they're they're automatically impressed or they say why would you do that to yourself and um you know, I'll, I'll back up and, and and say, for me, I've been so blessed. I uh, got into cross country and track in high school. Um, my Both of my parents were runners. And at the time, I was just trying to stay in shape for soccer. That was my mm -hmm. passion, was playing competitive soccer. And I played all the way up until high school and planned to play through high school and hopefully in college. Um, but God had a different path for me. Mm -hmm. And I... Uh, for a variety of reasons, stopped playing soccer my freshman year in high school and picked up running and, and was blessed enough to be relatively good at it right away. Um, and I ran all throughout high school, um, qualified for state, was competitive at the state level um, and at the national level. And then I was recruited to a number of Division I universities, including Brigham Young University, uh, which is a story all, all, all to itself how I ended up there. Um, but they, long story short, had a fantastic program, uh, they were great academically, and had a lot of great people there, um, despite our differences in faith. And mm -hmm. so I went and spent the next several years at BYU uh, and competed relatively competitively at the Division I level, got to run at the national championship several times for cross country, um, and at the regional level, uh, or the preliminary national level for, for outdoor track and field. Um, and then graduated in 2015 and put down running for a little while. I'd been doing it for so long and I was a little uh, burnt out on being a competitive athlete and, you know, going to school and, and 
you know, having to go to bed early and, and wake up early and, and watching my diet and everything else. And I wanted a little bit of a break. So I mm-hmm. played some recreational soccer for a few years. And then uh, through another set of interesting circumstances, stumbled into running once again in 2018. I just started to sort of casually run with a group of guys um, in the Seattle area. And then um, from there, I, I started to pick it back up again, found the passion. And in 2019, I signed up for the Chicago Marathon and I made the goal to qualify for the Olympic trials. Mm. And at that time, the qualifying time required to run uh, in order to uh, qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon was two hours and 18 minutes. Mm. And um, I apologize, it was two hours and 19 minutes. And so I had the goal time to run two hours and 18 minutes. Um, And I ran the Chicago Marathon and I did really relatively well. and, And I ended up finishing 37th overall in a time of two hours, 16 minutes and 59 seconds and punched my ticket to the Olympic trials. And uh, that was faster than I ever thought I would ever be able to run. Um, It was a bit of a a renaissance experience for me where I had retired from running and then came back as a a renaissance man, if you will. And uh, yeah, qualified for the Olympic trials, ran there and uh, just so blessed for all these gifts that have been given to me Um, and, and, how I've been able to use these gifts to share stories of, of, yeah, you exercising the, the, the many blessings that I've had in my life from our Lord. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Well, and, and this is interesting. And so when you were in college, were you running marathons when you were running cross country? Like what was the distance uh, associated with those uh, meets? Yeah. Yeah. So typically collegiate athletes do not run marathons. Um, the reason being is that's just such a long distance. It's a discipline that is different enough from what you're doing at a competitive college level. If you train for marathons, that's really your 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 one discipline that you're going toward. Where in college, uh, you're in cross country, you're running eight k's and ten k's, and that's a, a, mm. a five mile for eight k, and then uh, six point two miles for ten k, yeah. and then in track, you could be running anything from the mile up to the 10K and the 10K again being 6.2 miles, that is much, much shorter than the marathon, which is 26.2. And in college, you're running multiple events every week or every other week. Whereas in a marathon, you have to train for one event and then you have to take approximately four, ideally five or six months off before your next event. So it just doesn't lend itself really Mm. to competitive running if you're doing marathoning in college. Some people do it, but that's really, really rare. Okay. Wow. That's fascinating. And so I appreciate you sharing that with me. So I want to go back and I want to talk about this, uh, this marathon running experience of yours now post-college. Um, and so for our listeners, I did look this up a, w- a while back when I was first shocked and awed at two hours, 16 minutes and 59 seconds. Again, in my mind, my expectation was going to be something like, yeah, I run it in you know just over three hours or three and a half hours. So I don't know the exact number. I can't recall, but it's like sub 100,000 people in the entire um, world that that run marathons that fast. And uh, and so I want to talk to you about about the training, because 
did you, was it as simple as, uh, um, okay, so I was running these 6.2 miles and my, my minute mile was X and now I just have to do that exact same thing for <laughs> over 26 miles. Um, or, or how did you, how did you get into that and then uh, set that goal for yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great question. Um, for whatever event you're training for, at a competitive level, at, at, at what I would say is, is an elite level, um, you want to tailor your training specifically to the event that you are trying to um, be successful at. So if that's the 10K, you know you're running 6.2 miles and you are going to do a lot of strength training. A lot, sometimes we call it base training mm -hmm. uh, to kind of develop that aerobic strength um, so that not only could you run 6.2 miles really, really competitively, but you could probably run 10, 15, 20 miles at a good clip. But you will also be doing some speed training mixed into that strength training to really hone your skills and, and, and kind of fine tune and, and polish your abilities uh, at this distance. Um, so you will mix in some shorter um, hard runs, uh, you might do what we call mile repeats, um, at your 10 K goal pace. So that could be, you know, four, four forty per mile, four thirty per mile. Um, you run a mile, you take a minute off and then you keep mm -hmm. doing that for five mm -hmm. or six miles, uh, to develop some of that speed associated with the 10 K that you're running. And then with the marathon, your base training, your your strength training is really, really similar. You might increase the number of miles that you run per week, um, but you'll do less specific speed work. Um, you won't really do some things that you might do in the 10K. In the 10K, you'll do 400 meter repeats. Or those are mm. That's a quarter mile, quarter mile yeah. repeats uh, so that you know that you're fast and strong at the end of a race. But in a marathon, you, re you really never need to sprint mm. for 400 yeah. meters. It's just kind of going hard the entire time at a slower a slower pace, um, but for more sustained. So the training does look different. Um, it's just in one, you emphasize speed more. And in the other, you emphasize strength more. There's a blend of both to be sure, regardless of the event you're training for. But how you um, adjust that ratio is is really tailored to the race that you're running. Yeah, absolutely. And we've all heard the spiritual stories of our lives. Our journey as men throughout this life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I see a lot of correlations with there. And I actually like to take it in that direction is, is kind of what was your what was the means uh, to the end of of running marathons? And and I, I just want to be honest here, because, you know, I'm um, or was a, a professional trumpet player, um, practiced five to nine hours a day. And as much as I'd like to say, there was a driving spiritual component to my trumpet playing uh the answer is is that really wasn't the case it was kind of a joy i was maybe thankful for it and then really the only time i brought it to prayer was when i needed something from god in the sense of like i really want to do well at this audition or i really need to do well at this solo performance or you know there wasn't kind of that the the spirit my spiritual life wasn't guiding my life in in my youth um and so the means was just uh, uh the joy of of playing the trumpet not so much of glorifying god with this gift or talent that he had given me and so i'd love to hear from you a little bit about you know what was um in college and beyond you know was there a spiritual component that was guiding you or, or was it just the love of the uh competition or was it the 
winning and beating other people like, you know, or all the above. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, John. And and I'm guessing that as a competitive and professional trumpet player, your answer may be similar to mine in that it it, it changed over the years. Uh, When I initially started running that the goal was just to, like I mentioned, stay in shape for soccer. Um, And then eventually I got really good at running and throughout high school, I thought, okay, this is a, a bit of a, a platform that I have. I'm I'm using my skills to witness to Christ in in some small way, perhaps whether that's an indirect, you know, um, in, indirect example of of the kind of life and and, and virtuous life that I, I strive to live, albeit not perfectly, uh, with a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, or mentioning to friends who I'm running with or in an interview about my my faith. Um, that was kind of my, my thinking in high school. And then throughout college, I felt similarly. You know, I um, was able to run competitively and share my faith, perhaps in some small way, with a lot of my teammates and friends who um, were not believers of the same faith. They were not Catholic. Um, they were predominantly Mormon or Latter-day yeah. Saints. Um, and then I really had to wrestle with what running meant for me after college, because it was easy to, you know, have a have a reason for running when I was in high school. You know, like I mentioned, but in addition to the reasons for running in high school, I wanted to get a scholarship. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to have, I wanted to have my college paid for. Yeah. Uh, when I was in college, I thought to myself, well, I got to keep running so I can continue to get my college paid for. And, you know, perhaps I'll have the opportunity to run professionally and, and go to the Olympics and then have that platform to, to share my faith. And that never happened for me. And by the end of college, it was pretty clear that that wasn't really ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I still had the opportunity to run a little bit competitively. And that's what I've done since then, uh, with some of these marathons that I've run, and like you mentioned, qualifying for the Olympic trials. And I really have had uh, struggles with with my my why. Why do I keep doing this? Um, why did I do it for so long? Um, and I go back and forth. You know, at times, I find myself going for a run, and it's it's outside, it's in the mountains, it's in the trees. and um, I just have an overwhelming sense of joy and peace as I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm experiencing God's creation in a way that really speaks to me. That's not the only place that I experience God and God's, you know, will and power in my life, but it certainly is a way. And that feeling to me is a sign to me that God has given me this amazing gift and I'm exercising it and it's pleasing to him. That's that's just the sense that I get. And then along the way, you know, I am able to facilitate and have some of these conversations um, with my friends, with my teammates, and even family members, you know, whether it's using the runs that I go on as a way to facilitate prayer in my life, um, whether it's to dedicate a run or a race to a friend, and I might vocalize that or not vocalize it, or a family member. Um, there have been some really powerful moments for me with running um, that are maybe a little bit smaller in scale, but individually um, 
through all these individual reasons for running, uh, they really have provided a lot of meaning for me as to why I do it and why it's worth getting up early in the morning and and, and running in the rain. Um, there's absolutely a spiritual component to it. And at some of the most difficult times in my life where I've been stressed about work or family or relationships, um, there's been nothing more therapeutic for me. I mean, there are a few forms of prayer that I really love. Uh, and, and I'll just list a few off the Please. top of my head. But the, the rosary, um, time and adoration for the Blessed Sacrament, always great for me. Uh, gives me an overwhelming sense of peace. Some of the most powerful prayers that I've had have been in the midst of a run mm. where I'm alone in the mountains and just running and at times throwing my hands in the air and maybe even yelling, you know, to God, why, why is this happening? And just, you know, kind of working those things out one-on-one -on -one with the Lord as I'm, you know, kind of um, exercising and, and, you know, exerting myself. Um, I've had some really powerful experiences that way. So that's, that doesn't necessarily speak to the competitive aspect of running and, you know, being again, a, a, an elite runner, but uh, running certainly has had some benefit outside of the elite achievements that I've, I've stri strived for. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, and actually you took it to a depth that I was unprepared for. And I would say that I actually had kind of built up in my mind, this false dichotomy of what I was actually going to, to gear shift towards is that I get a lot of times people say, wow, you were so dedicated to playing the trumpet. And in the the um, job uh, situation that I, I engage in daily, uh, there is often a well, so I suppose you can just apply that, um, that dedication that you had to say marathon running to your spiritual life, but it doesn't always fit like that, right? Because you get to see those gains, you get to see it, set those goals, you get to um, improve. And, but for you, you were able to sanctify those moments in what you're talking about, right? So it wasn't like this idea of like, okay, well, I'm a marathon runner here, and therefore I should be able to apply my discipline to marathon running to the spiritual life. But instead it's, how can I use this marathon running to advance and improve my spiritual life or vice versa, right? How can they play upon themselves as, as a man created in the image and likeness of God as a physical being who also has that mind and soul um, associated with it? So I really appreciate uh, you bringing that up because it isn't uh, one or the other or you do it in this way and then it has to be applied here. It really is that depth of union that you were able to, to speak to that I wasn't really... Um, expecting so appreciate that of course yeah i think yeah you, you've said it so well that that union that marriage between the two they really do integrate so well yeah and i would say that one thing though that i'm hearing um from you is this kind of this love of marathon running like you said it, it brings you peace uh, you know it kind of there's a certain degree of of um of peace in the in the strenuous life and peace in the experience there and i think often for our listeners when they are trying to apply that to the spiritual life or to their prayer life they maybe um they maybe lack that dedication in that peace because honestly they they just they don't love um the prayer life and that's something that we as men have to have to work to improve day in and day out is this idea of growing in love knowing that that life the attractions to life you know concupiscence 
pride of life, loss of the eyes, all of these things are trying to keep us from that spiritual life. And so we have to stay dedicated and we have to stay consistent. So let me, let me add to that, John, if I yeah. may, um, and just share that, you know, there are many days when it's easy for me to get out the door and go for a run. I live in a beautiful area in Western Washington where I, I literally have mountains. I can see from my window that I can go run in every day, but not every day is like that. There are a lot of rainy days here in this area. There are a lot of uh, even snowy days and days where I'm just tired and I don't feel good and I don't want to go for a run. You know, I really um, liken it to the spiritual life where I feel times of spiritual desolation when it comes to my running as in my spiritual life from time to time, my prayer life. You know, I'm, I'm not feeling motivated to, you know, stick to the, the, the habits that I've created for myself or I deviate just as in running, but I'll, I'll, I'll use this, this metaphor of, of running and just explain that uh, there are a lot of hard days when I really don't like to run and I really don't want to, but I go out, the, I get out the door and I do it anyway, um, knowing that I have a goal in mind um, and it might be an upcoming race where I want to hit a certain time or something of that nature. And I continue to go through the process knowing full well that I may be in a dry spell and that I eventually will rediscover my my passion and my fire and my my joy and my love for running. Just as in my spiritual life, I've experienced the same thing. There are times where I don't want to pray the rosary. I'll be honest. I just, yeah, of course. I want to go to bed mm-hmm. or, I, or I want to sleep. Um, and I kind of have to force myself to go through it and stick with it. And, you know, a few days or a few weeks go by and the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm really feeling the, the warmth of that spiritual fire once again. Um, so yeah. it, there, there are so many comparisons, you know, uh, and, and ways to um, equate one to the other. So many similarities between the two. But I do want to explain. I think it's important to explain that running isn't easy. It's yeah. not it's not um, pure joy and bliss all the time. It is hard. It is a yeah. discipline. Uh, just as in your spiritual life. But when you commit to that discipline, and you stick with it, it bears fruit that you never would have anticipated, both in athletics or any other joyful hobby that you may have, um, as in the spiritual life. Absolutely. And I would just say that this is a truth of masculinity right here, right? So uh, masculinity uh, defined in a man of virtue, right? A man who all the virtues work in harmony with each other, that he has a certain degree of self-discipline and self-mastery in those virtues that we are working towards to die to ourselves and to live a true authentic life of of Christ and uh, of God for the rest of the world. And it takes dedication. And it's certainly not easy. As we know, the cross, as Christ said, pick up your cross and follow me and uh but he didn't say just follow me he said pick up your cross right so there's going to be that that dedication and that challenge so i really appreciate that i want to take this time now and i want to shift to uh your career and climbing the career ladder right and and um it it's it's one of um that fascinates me that was um incredibly impressive at the same time uh your change of careers after basically uh, climbing the ladder of success 
successfully. Um, uh, so why don't you talk about uh, about your your time at Amazon? And every single person listening to this call, maybe not every one of them, but most everyone has a connotation associated with Amazon, you know, good, bad or indifferent. And I'd love for you to talk briefly about, um, you know, your your desires and your drive at the time. Um, I think that'd be a good starting point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and John, as you know, there's a lot of different directions that this conversation could go in. But I'll I'll start, you know, with this that um, you know, we, we didn't really mention at the beginning, but my my first gig out of college was actually for a smaller company where I worked for a couple of years in a, in a small, small town in Idaho, which was mm -hmm. great. And I met a lot of great people and I experienced a great community feel in the corporate environment. And it was, it was a real blessing for me at that time to start my career in such a positive way. Um, but my family's from the Seattle area and I always wanted to get closer to home. I've got some younger siblings at home yeah. and I wanted to spend time with them and spend time with my parents. And so I started to look at job opportunities closer to home in the Seattle area and looked around and um, I applied to Amazon. Um, this was back in 2017. And uh, at that time, Amazon was just starting to become really the, the global juggernaut that it is yeah. now today, um, but wasn't quite there yet. And um, I applied, I flew out, I interviewed, and I was very excited for the position that I, I got. And um, I stayed there, like you mentioned, for four and a half years and worked a variety of roles in the corporate offices at the Amazon headquarters. And there was a lot of positive to working at Amazon. Um, I worked with some of the most talented people from around the world. Um, my first team at Amazon, I, I'm going to ballpark guess, um, but in a team of, you know, a few dozen or so, I think maybe six to eight countries were represented wow. um people from and for those that were american they're from all over the country um almost everyone had an mba from an ivy league school and so i was in an environment where i felt like a small fish in a big pond and through osmosis i learned at a faster rate than i ever thought that i i ever wow. would i picked up <clears throat> skills from amazon um say what you will about amazon they do business better than nearly every other company. And it yeah. shows in terms of their profits and, and um, you know, their, their revenue. Um, I picked up a lot of good business principles and business skills from working at Amazon. And, and I did develop some relationships there with some really, really great people. Um, so there was a lot of positive yeah. to working at Amazon. Um, there were some negative aspects as well. And I started to pick up on these and, and, you know, the Amazon's in the news quite frequently for various things that they have tried to do to get an edge over the competition or make a little bit more money or, or squeeze a few extra pennies for every dollar out of, um, yeah. party X, Y, or Z. Um, but for me, you know, I, I started to work at Amazon and, and there were a few things that, that started to jump out to me um that i found to be a bit problematic um you know and, and gosh there's there's probably a lot that i could say here some issues more significant than others um some that are issues for me personally and my personal experience and some that are more macro or at a grander scale um 
But one thing that I found um, to be a little problematic early on is that, you know, and I found this to be the case at the second tech company that I worked for, Chewy.com, which yeah. even though it's a dog and a cat food company, it's a tech company. Yeah. Um, is that there seems to be this um mentality that when you work for one of these companies, in order to be successful, it needs to be a really, really big part of your life. Um, Work-life balance uh, is sometimes compromised um, in order to protect the bottom line or to grow your career at these companies. And Mm. I found that a lot of my peers, um, especially the ones that really lacked other areas of their life that you and I, John, find so important, such as um, a family life um, or a spiritual life. Uh, that freed up a lot of time for my peers to dedicate to their profession um, and to dive head on into being successful and, and climbing that corporate ladder, growing their career, and ultimately making more money. Yeah. And I found that that was kind of becoming a requirement in order to continue to climb that corporate ladder is that you would need to invest more and more time um, and for a lot of my peers, there wasn't much of an issue. Work was a big part of their life. In fact, the biggest part of mm. their lives. Um, and, and I, I could get into the way that that manifested itself. I don't really I need to, I don't want to go there necessarily yeah. with specific examples, but for me, I guess what I'm getting at with this first point is that, um, my, my, I had so, I wanted to have such a full life. I wanted to spend time with my family. I wanted to have a bit of a social life, not not a significant one, but enough of one to hang out with friends and maybe run on the weekends or play soccer on the weekends at that time before I started competitive running again. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to be involved in my faith. And it was hard to do it all at these companies. And I think that's a real danger that I see with a lot of these tech companies and the Fortune 500 tech companies that not everyone sees. Um, a lot of folks give millennials a hard time about being lazy and I don't want to, you know, get too controversial, but I actually found the opposite at these tech companies. Um, we worked around the clock, um, not every day, not every week, but at times we did. And at certain companies, it was in certain teams, it was worse than others. And especially now that we can, everyone can take their laptops home, uh, the expectation oftentimes is that you will email after hours. You'll be available. You'll be available on the weekends. And some of my peers work nonstop, um, 60, yeah. 70 hour work weeks. I think me, that just actually, wasn't a Yeah. And that's actually what I wanted to, if you could paint a little bit more of a picture in that, I mean, two things pop in my mind and one that I appreciate you allowing me to is Pope Paul the six in, in the, I believe the fifties, uh, just looked it up because what you were saying, he said, a sense of the dignity of the human person has been impressing itself more and more deeply on the consciousness of contemporary man. And, and that's exactly what you're, you're speaking of is that we kind of lose the, the, what it means to be a person and what it means to be a person is to be a slave of mammon, right? To be a slave of this world and to, um, and we find ourselves while pursuing that, um, this kind of paradox that we are pursuing this, this sort of career and this sort of profession, but, but 
the company is is requiring so much of us and we see that we're losing ourselves we see that we're losing so much more of ourselves so if you could paint a little bit and I, you just started to do it at the at the end there of like how many work hours a week um was required but more than just the physical which i'd like to hear also kind of the mental like was there um did you feel like you were on the chopping block frequently or you know uh, uh you know or was it more of just uh the culture of everybody pursuing this made you feel like you, you had you didn't want to get left behind so you needed to be a part of that and did that sort of anxiety enter in i'd love to hear a little bit more about that in in something more tangible yeah yeah and i would say it, it depended on the team that you were on especially at amazon um what i'll what i'll share is that you know there were times at amazon where a work week was very very reasonable there were times when it was more unreasonable and everyone kind of expected that around black friday and cyber monday around prime day there were long long hours um but to amazon's credit very often you were rewarded for working those long hours you would have happy hours catered at work they you know your bosses would all take you out to the bars after work and you get to socialize. Um, there would be a Christmas party um, in which they brought in an A-list uh, music artist uh, to just have mm -hmm. everyone, you know, kind of celebrate all the hard work that they had done. But I would say that I, I want to share this: that you know, when you join Amazon, especially right out of college or shortly thereafter, your first couple years are really a trial. Really, your first year is is really a, a trial period in which many folks are are put through the, I would say the ringer, um, yeah. where it's kind of a weeding process to determine who is the, uh, the, the strongest and, and most, um, tolerant, if you will, um, who, who you know, the cream rises to the, the, the top. Um, and it was, um, certainly the, my first year at Amazon was a very anxiety ridden year. Um, many many of my peers quit. The turnover was very, very high. Um, and the threat of um, either being let go or being put on what they would call a performance improvement plan was significant um, and, and came up time and again. And for those who could get through their first year at Amazon, you'd kind of establish yourself at that point. You could get into a role that was less stressful. But the, the humanity of individual persons at Amazon was certainly lost. I think Amazon kind of, you know, made the calculation that we can bring on, you know, a thousand employees. And if at the end of a year we have 2000 rock stars, that's worth the investment. Those 2000 rock stars will stay with Amazon and make us more money. And we can cut the the uh the, the fat off of off of this cohort of a thousand employees. And I'm making these numbers up, of course. No, no, understood. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was that was difficult to see um, and difficult to be a part of. Very, very stressful. Um, one thing you you mentioned the human dignity of persons as well that I, I wanted to mention is that yeah. one attitude that we that was instilled in us at Amazon and from a business standpoint, this makes a ton of sense. This is a brilliant business principle. However, at the, at the cost of of what? And I'll, I'll share um, one thing that we were always supposed to be thinking of um, at Amazon was how to um, make our current job obsolete. The goal was that you would be in your position and find some way to either automate it through software development and development of systems that 
uh, could be done by artificial intelligence or robotics or some some program, some automated program. Or secondly, and this is the one that doesn't really sit well with me. Um, so so option one, automation. Option two, um, offshoring your work to um, an international support team um, or in, in, a, in a sense, um, taking the work that you're doing, um, dumbing it down or, or, or distilling it to the basic um, steps in a process so that uh, a, a cheaper labor team overseas, very often in India, um, would be able to do a manual task repeatedly for a lower wage. Um, that was common practice and and done all the time at Amazon. Um, it's a lot more expensive for me to think creatively over a problem and um, you know manage it every single day than it is for me to, like I said, distill it to the basic parts and then ship it overseas to a cheaper team. And, and that didn't really sit well with me. And so those two things you were tasked with thinking about all the time at Amazon, again, making your, your current position obsolete. And the thinking, well, you might think, well, gosh, why would you want to make your own job obsolete? Well, Amazon is a company uh, where there are so many innovators and things are moving so, so quickly that if you make your own job obsolete and you do so successfully, you're next in line for the next highest qualified position or a different team where you're going to be able to solve different problems. Um, it's a it's a funneling process, I would say, like an inverted funnel where as you solve all these problems and automate and offshore the the problems that you're solving, um, the uh, those who are uh, the most creative and the most capable, uh, to their credit, uh, continue to rise up, but there eventually yeah. are fewer and fewer of them as the masses are um, made obsolete by cheaper labor teams uh, or software uh, engineering, software development, yeah. automation. Um, and and I'll just say one last thing is that it, it really didn't sit well with me that these individuals who were working overseas were really thought of as, as, as in a sense, machines, yes. uh, robots. The the the, uh, the work that they would do, and I'm not talking about manual labor. I'm talking about clicking on a computer and moving things around. Um, it was it would be seen as so far beneath what any of the other employees who uh, obviously have their MBAs or went to business school, or are just working in the corporate offices, would be willing to tolerate and put up with. Mm. Um, just repetitive, mindless tasks, um, clicking on a computer and 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 moving things around, things that maybe in, in a startup company you would have to do because you don't have the labor to do it. Uh, the CEO might have to do some tasks that he normally wouldn't. But in this case, um, yeah, it was really um dehumanizing for those individuals who had to do really brainless work. Mm. And for them, they were obviously in situations where they may have needed the money, you know, yeah. job opportunities may have been fewer and further between where they lived. Mm. And so we were able to, I would say, exploit that labor in that way. And that that never really sat well with me. Wow, Connor. No, that uh, wasn't you have successfully changed my direction of where I wanted to take uh, this conversation because it, it is it's it's so insidious. I mean, I just uh, and and um 
And of course, man is always going to be able to exploit others for his own gain. That is just kind of the nature of of concupiscence and original sin within the world and how it takes effect. Um, because actually it's fascinating your first comment, and I agree with you, the second comment sets very unwell, but actually the first comment I do think is is kind of a part, and I'm not a big conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I do think it's a part of you know the World Health Organization and this sort of thing, is to make mankind obsolete, right? When you start hearing arguments about population control and you start hearing these sort of things, it's the fact that robots, computers, et cetera, are, are already making man obsolete. And so therefore, jump on the bandwagon and and find a way to leverage that for your own personal gain. But at the same time, like you just said, making your job or making your um uh your you know human uh work effort obsolete. And I think that what's so interesting, and I know that um I wasn't planning on going in this direction, but I do think it's important because of, of where she just placed, is that what does this do? for mankind but breeds anxiety and worries and concerns and depression it's not giving us more time to uh live a life of leisure or to learn how to um you know go go on a sailboat or more time to learn how to paint or to read or to practice play the trumpet or any of these things that we've been talking about it's not it just it builds we become slaves to it and we become slaves to the unknown and where that's going to take us and and how we're going to get there um with with that concern so i appreciate those two points that you brought up and i and i will say that this is not just amazon i think we can all very clearly recognize that this is most all large scale companies on and i'd be pressed and encourage you if you if you have the opposite of that to drop that note in the comment section we'd like to hear it but i think that this is just kind of insidious within at least the american western world system of of corporations and and trying to get ahead yeah absolutely and just to put a, a final stamp for for these larger companies it's it's profits over relationships every time and you may think that it is about relationships and and that is a part of what these companies try to do but the relationships are there to support the profits yeah and that's, absolutely that's the harsh reality you know and i think it's important for all of us men to reflect on this within your own current businesses maybe you work for a small company like like connor and i do now um and and but you start realizing how this kind of enters in that sort of mentality can still enter in because it's we've been indoctrinated into it here in our society maybe indirectly and i think <clears throat> that's such a good point um that it's profit over relationships and we need to kind of fight against that same thing with you know um uh the mistreatment and abuse of of the physical body of women in our society men need to 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 radically fight against that fight against pornography fight against um uh you know the objectification of women and kind of in the same thing right now we have to realize that about our own indoctrination of profit first and you know make more money uh at the expense of people and we need to we need to fight against that so i really appreciate you you bringing that clarity to to the conversation yeah and, and one more thing john yeah on um just to i mean i, I do want to make it clear that when you work in a corporate setting when you own a company the profits are important they yeah. are essential you need to be making money to keep the lights on to be able to pay people to 
um, you know, raise their families. That is essential. And, and so I, I want to make it clear that that's, I'm not saying that those things should be sacrificed. It's just that um, at these types of corporations, um, the employees are more seen as a, a means to an end. And, and you are just a number. And, and of course, expendable. any company yeah. you leave will continue to, to, you know, roll on. Um, that's not unique to Amazon. It's not unique to Microsoft or Chewy or anywhere else. Um, but it is, it is really, really clear at, at least in my experience, the companies like Amazon and Chewy that, uh, you, you really are, uh, just kind of a, a cog a in a machine, mm-hmm. uh, a number. Yep. Yep. But again, uh, if you're running a business, you got to make a profit. And so that you can't sacrifice that at the end of the day um, so that you can no longer, you know, continue to do the good work that you're doing. So agreed. It's, it's a, certain it's mentality. Yeah. Agreed. It's an, e- it's not an either or it's absolutely a both and, and we're on the same page with that. And I appreciate you, you bringing that up. So as to um, caution kind of an extremist um, mentality, or maybe even a zealous mentality against, against corporations. Cause that's certainly not what um, we are about. Uh, I would like to now talk about, and and I've got it, you know, right here is for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life uh, from Mark. And I feel like you made that, uh, that decision. I know you did. And you you shifted from a uh, one of these huge fortune, um, you know, 500 companies that that the that the career growth trajectory is is very laid out in front of you. Um, and, And you decided to use your talents and use your abilities and your drive, but for something with more purpose. And I'd like to talk what went through your discernment to finally make this decision? Like, like what was the the breaking point um, for you? And maybe it wasn't a breaking point, but what was, what was that, that, that you just decided, you know what, for the sake of my soul, for the sake of my life balance, I need to make this change. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it was a lengthy process. It didn't necessarily happen overnight. Uh, um, you know, and I, I mentioned some of my issues with working at, um, you know, kind of the, the big tech companies, couple Fortune 500 companies. Um, and and there was a lot that I found issue with in continuing to pursue this path. And I won't get into all of those details. There's a lot more I could say about Amazon and a lot more I could say about Chewy. And, and we don't have the time and that that's fine, but I'll, I'll boil it down to what I was doing just didn't give me any sense of of meaning. Um, it seemed like a means to an end. I was flying high from a, a, a salary standpoint. My resume, my LinkedIn looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. I had recruiters reaching out to me I, every other day from other fortune 500 companies. Um, and after four and a half years at Amazon, I mean, this is a blessing, uh, but I will say in, in a way that I hope doesn't come across as uh, self-serving or arrogant, arrogant, but the reality is if you spend four years at Amazon, you can kind of pick your place for where you want to go next um, to, to a certain degree. Yeah, and the more course. specific a company gets maybe harder, but in terms of the overall big business companies, you can go wherever you want. And um, I thought to myself, well, gosh, maybe I should just go to another company, but is it going to be more of the same? And I felt that the work that I was doing um, wasn't serving anyone else other than 
well, the executives at the companies I was working for, um, and and my own my own bank account. Um, I wasn't fulfilled in the work I was doing. Sure, maybe at the end of the day, people are getting good products that they need at Amazon, uh, at, at Chewy. You know, dogs are getting their dog food. Um, but people can still get those things, even if Amazon didn't exist and if Chewy didn't exist. Um, 30 years ago, we didn't have Amazon. People still found their toilet paper. And, you know, so I kind of felt to my thought to myself, what I'm doing doesn't doesn't really matter. And the idea of memento mori, uh, remember your death, really started yeah. to sink in for me. And I, I kind of had a sobering moment where I thought to myself, and this is a little bit morbid to say it this way, no. but I think it's 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 good to think about our lives in this way at times. But I thought to myself, if I died tomorrow, would I be great? Would would I be pleased with what I've done with my life? And the answer was a resounding no. Hmm. And so. At, at that moment, you know, my my mental health started to um, wane a little bit, not not significantly, but the anxiety started to creep up. I wasn't motivated to get up in the morning, go to work. Um, and I just, I started to realize I need to leave, you know, for my mental health, um, perhaps for the sake of my, my soul. Um, I didn't feel like what I was doing was contributing to um, establishing the kingdom of God here on earth in any way. Um, other than maybe some small interactions here and there where I was a, a witness and had some good conversations with people, but that was few and far between. And for me, I needed Christ and the mission that uh, of bringing Christ to others to be more central to my life. It needed to be more fundamental to what I was doing. And so um, I started to look around at more mission-driven companies, you know, Christian nonprofits, Catholic marketing agencies. Um, Gosh, you know, was the archdiocese hiring? Was my own parish hiring? Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that I found is that very often the case was yes, but these companies did not pay nearly as much as I had um, was making before, which is to be expected. And not only that, I, I live in one of the most expensive areas in the country, in the Seattle yeah. area. I mean, it's it's wild how expensive the rent is here and it's a beautiful area to live i can see why people pay this much but um you know it's it's difficult when your salary doesn't doesn't match up and so i found what i thought to be uh the perfect company for me and um the salary was a significant step back from where i had previously been yeah um not only that um i had to wrestle with the fact that I went from Fortune 500 to Fortune 500 company. And this company is not a Fortune 500 company that I now work at. Yeah. And I had to really have some difficult conversations with some of my peers from Amazon, the, the ones that I trust, the ones that I love and, and who we still interact and engage. Um, and, uh, you know, on some level, you may say that my move was, I mean, by, would by, be seen by a lot of my peers as career suicide. Yeah. Agreed. Um, honestly, yeah. mm -hmm. honestly, that's not to say that I couldn't work somewhere else eventually, but it, it was a step in the wrong direction. You know, we always hear that at your next job, you should make a little bit more at your next job. You should make a little bit more Unless better position. Change, for same exactly. Pay, manage mm -hmm. people, title change, all these things yeah. so that you can eventually retire and not work anymore. That just didn't, yeah. that didn't make sense to me. I just, you know, I, I felt like I was working so, so hard so that I could stop working as quickly as possible. So I wanted to find a place where I was enjoying my work. And so I, 
I took all this to prayer. Um, that was really, I mean, I mentioned some of those runs. I had some of these stressful kind of, but also therapeutic runs where I was just, you know, trying to wrestle with, with what I was supposed to be doing in my life. And um, I was introduced to uh, the 14 rules of engage, Ignatian discernment. Um, and there's a good resource um, online that boils them down to 11 steps. Um, and I really, really loved uh, this Ignatian discernment. Um, I remember before I began the process, I did not think I was going to go to this company. And by the end, it was a pretty clear yes that God wanted me to be at this company. Wow. And I loved the, there were some specific things about the discernment that I really loved. It, it, it married the practical with the spiritual. I'm a pretty mm -hmm. practical, kind of logical-minded person. Um, and it really helped you to outline what the advantages and disadvantages of a big decision are, but putting God at the center. And I'm trying to recall, I think it was IgnatianSpirituality.com. That was where I mm -hmm. found uh, this resource, uh, 11 Steps. And I would recommend it for anyone making a big decision before marriage. I even sent it to a few of my non-Catholic friends. I mean, it just it just holds up. Um, granted, my non-Catholic friends may look over the um, spiritual aspect, but it still is such a logical framework for making a big, difficult decision. And that helped me. And so what I found after going through this process was that, and this was a part of my decision process as well, and I want to pass this along, that um, I was taking a big leap of faith by taking this position. I was yeah. making much less than I did previously and rent in Seattle. I, I don't live in the nicest apartment. I live within my means for sure, or I try to. Um, and I wasn't sure how I was going to necessarily make ends meet initially. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was going to have to budget. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, buy my family the same Christmas presents I did the year before. Um, but I had to put a lot of trust in the Lord that I had never had to before. Um, I am naturally inclined to want to have control over my own life. And a big part of having that control is having financial security. And for the first time in my life, since graduating college, I really had to take a step back and recognize that God was in control. And, and let him have that control, take my hands off the wheel, hands off the reins, and let God take over. And, you know, I that that was a big uh, step for me in terms of turning my life over to God and, and, and letting him again, take that control. And it was scary at first, for sure. And that's, that's why it was a difficult decision for me to make. Um, but once I put my faith in God being able to take care of me. It deepened my spiritual life. It allowed me to prioritize other relationships in my life. I There was less stress involved um, in what I was doing every single day. Um, and I've been at this new company for coming up on a year and um, I'm getting by just fine. I've definitely had to, you know, um, cut some things out of my life that weren't really necessary in the first place, but I've had better relationships since then. My life ha truly hasn't suffered significantly. Um, so I urge anyone, um, whether they're facing a decision financially or anything else, gosh, put your faith in the Lord, um, because you will perhaps be surprised by what you find. Um, 
and it just came for me, it came down to if we're if we're truly trusting in the Lord, if we truly practice what we preach, we should trust that God will provide for us. And I had never really allowed God to show that he will before yeah. because I was always in control. And I think it's only when we start to allow God to move our lives, um, which as men is so hard to do because we want to control. We want to take care of people. We want to take care of those we're, we're dating or married to or our families. At the end of the day, we're not in control. It's it's the Lord who's in control. And mm-hmm. this was a big exercise for me in my life. So I just wanted to pass that along too. Yeah, to what an incredible journey. No, I'm really grateful. And I do. And I think um, you, you speak so wise, honestly, in that process, because I, I loved how you talked about the four last things, right? We have to... Um, we have to discern these things. I have a St. Jerome um, prayer card right here on my desk where he's got the skull, right? And it's uh, it's that constant reminder of our death. And in the end, that's what we're here for, right? Men, we are here to love God, to serve God, and to know um, to know God, to love God, and to serve him faithfully. That is our that is our purpose. And, you know, he's going to take care of us, but putting our trust in him is, is something that we can sanctify and we can choose to do. And it sounds like he did that. And I'm really appreciative of you sharing that with us well i know um i know that you've got um uh we're coming up over an hour but i'm glad i'd love for you to leave your your final thoughts um for men uh having you having gone through this journey having been so dedicated having experienced the um the ebbs and flows of of big discernment and emotions and challenges i'd love for you to uh leave our men with, with some more advice. Yeah. Yeah. One, one final thought that I, I wanted to share, um, that I just feel called to share to young men, especially, but men everywhere. Um, you know, a little bit, you know, you've heard a bit about my story and I think that nowadays in 2023, our lives are so, so busy. And for me, you know, being a college athlete, uh, being a full-time student, and then, working and and everything else there's just so much noise in our lives um that can make it harder to um really practice our our faith and 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 dive in head first um like sometimes we're called to do and for me in college i always thought that um okay i'm going to get serious about my faith life when i graduate and then when i graduated i thought okay when i really start to uh, discern marriage that's when I'm going to get my faith life put together. Um, and when I'm married, you know, I just, I want, I want to leave people with this, that the most convenient time to really start developing your, your spiritual life is always tomorrow. Meaning it's, it's eventually. Um, and there truly there's, there's never a convenient time to really start to get involved in your faith life, whether it's your parish, uh, developing your prayer life, discerning your vocation, it's so easy to put it off, especially with how busy we are. Yeah, and I didn't really trust that I would have the time to dive in and start to go to weekly adoration or, or or pray the rosary or read from the scriptures. And in a lot of ways, I'm still not perfect. I still, you know, have to find the time and budget the time to to build these things into my life. But I would just say to men that if you were in my situation, if you are in what was my situation, and even if this just speaks to one man, um, I urge you to just take the plunge, take the leap of faith, and and start dedicating yourself to the Lord and developing your faith life today. 
because again, there will never be a convenient time to do so. Um, you're always going to be too busy. Life is just filled with so many things. But trust that when you do dive in and take that plunge, that the Lord will continue to provide. You will still be able to accomplish the things that you had planned in your life. And, you know, get off, get up off the couch. Uh, I know I'm sitting on a couch right now, but, uh, you know, go in and take the steps, join that prayer group, you know, join St. Vincent de Paul or whatever the case may be at your parish, uh, start volunteering. Um, because again, there's never a good time and the blessings that you will receive, the fruit that will be born from these activities, you, you, you can't put, you, you can't capture that. It's, it's not quantifiable. Um, so again, I just urge men to, to go ahead and, and do that. Take that step and be bold and be brave and, uh, Amen. start, 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 you know, taking the time to develop your faith. Yeah. I loved how you said that the, um, the complexities and the noise in our lives will always take priority if we allow them to, uh, then, but the purpose and God's pathway for our lives is not dependent on convenience. It is dependent on us today. And so what a great comment to leave men with. I'm inspired. I really appreciate you joining me today, Connor, and for your story and for who you are. And, um, you know, you, you're in my prayers and I, um, will have to have you back on to talk about some of these other things. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. And, uh, yeah, love to be back on at some point. It's been great. Awesome. Well, as we end each of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.